0: Hey guys, welcome back to Real-Time Crime. I'm Hannah. And I'm Jadae. Today we will be continuing our category for the month of May of cold cases. And today's case is called The Walker Family Murders. Take it away, Jadae.
1: As Hannah mentioned, the case we're covering today is about the Walker family, and this um, story happens on December 19th of 1959 in Osprey, Florida, which is about 10 miles south of Sarasota. I think Sarasota is the closest big metro city nearby. And Osprey, Florida is a tiny, tiny town. The population as of 2019 was just under 7,000 people. But we are assuming that back in 1959, it was way less than 7,000 people. The Walker family consists of Cliff Walker, who was 25 at the time, Christine Walker was 24, and their two children, Jimmy, three years old, and their daughter, Debbie, about one to two years old. So the Walker family was known to be, you know, just a very young, enthusiastic family and all the sources that I read made a note to point out that they were early risers every single day. So on December 20th, um, one of Cliff's co-workers and good friend named Daniel left his house early in the morning, grabbed his truck, hooked up his trailer, and got his horse ready to head over to the Walker family home because he and Cliff had plans to go hunting that day. So the Walker family home sat on a ranch owned by someone else, but this ranch was over a hundred thousand acres of land. So it was just their home and this huge piece of land. So as soon as Daniel drove up to the home and onto the driveway, he noticed a lot of small things um, that just seemed out of the ordinary because he and Cliff were just really good friends. They hung out all the time. So it was just even though there were a lot of small things, um, they were very out of the ordinary. So the first one was that the house lights were off. And like I mentioned, the family were um, early risers. So it was very uncommon that the house lights were still off. Along with that, the house just felt quieter than usual. And their car was not parked where it usually was on the driveway. So Daniel, you know, in good faith, just assumed that they had overslept, you know, that they weren't ready and whatnot. So he got off his truck and started knocking on the door. With no answer at the door, he just kept knocking louder and louder. He even started yelling and shouting out their names to hopefully wake them up. But then Daniel started getting an eerie feeling because, like I said, this was just way out of character for the Walker family He sort of looked around the house, looked around the land, and he noticed that there were some logs that were cut up around the house, as well as some Christmas gifts that were on the porch. So at this point, he's like, I've had enough of it, you know, they might be sleeping, but whatever. So he goes ahead and cuts the window screen to get inside the house. To his unfortunate surprise, he walked into what I think is the most horrific scene anyone could ever see. He immediately walks in and sees the Walker family all murdered right in the living room. Like he literally walks into the murder scene. And I'm going to read a direct quote from one of the sources that I read. It says, quote, Christine laid in a pool of blood at the entrance of the living room. Cliff and Jimmy were slumped in the corner and upstairs, Debbie laid in a blood filled batch, quote. So obviously he's scared out of his brains. It's his best friend and his wife and his children that are just murdered in their own home. So he rushes out of the house and um, he goes to the nearest home nearby and grabs a phone and calls the police. As I previously mentioned, Osprey is a small, small town and even smaller back then. So when the police heard that there had been a murder in a home, you know, they immediately rushed to the house and began the investigation as soon as possible. When police walked in the home, they specifically noticed some items that were missing and they were a pocket knife that belonged to Cliff, a uniform from Christine's high school because I believe she was a cheerleader and the Walker marriage license. So I'm going to come back to this later because I think it's a very important aspect of this murder. Uh, As police continues their investigation, they learned that the Walker family had been out running errands earlier in the day. They were buying groceries out with their family, and Christine decided to go home first. She said she was going to go home to put away the groceries and start cooking. So this happened at around 4 p.m. So police ruled out that Christine was attacked before she got home because they saw that the groceries were put away and everything, you know, was just in order. There was there was no mess as if she was attacked before she came home so after that we really don't know what time the attack might have happened or what time cliff and the kids got home but one thing we do know for sure is that christine was attacked first and she fought her attacker hard and as hard as she could she hit his head or her head with her heel because there was one heel that was just full of blood at the tip of the heel. She was then taken to Jimmy's room and she was unfortunately raped and shot with a 22 caliber gun. After this, police say that Cliff was shot in the face and Jimmy was also shot immediately after. Police believe that he was eating a lollipop and he didn't die immediately because there were tracks that he crawled to his father before being shot two more times. So remember, Jimmy is only three years old, but then comes the worst part. The killer then shot one-year-old Debbie and police also think that she didn't die from the gunshot. It's likely that the killer ran out of bullets because he then took um, baby Debbie to the bathroom where she was drowned in the bathtub. So backtracking to the marriage license uh, situation, this ties together to the investigation because some of the main suspects in this case had some sort of connection to Christine, which was the wife. The initial suspects were Daniel, who was the friend, one of Cliff's cousin, Elbert Walker, and a local resident named Wilbur Tucker. So Daniel passed a polygraph right away and was quickly removed from, from the suspect list. I, I think it's normal for like the first person that finds the victims you know to just be one of the suspects. Um, but like I said, he was quickly removed from the suspect list. The second one was Albert um, Cliff's cousin and he was on the fence for a while because he had a history of violent behavior. He would drink a lot and he was just like well known for being um, like wild and violent. Um some sources say that he had even tried to make a move on Christine before him. Um so, you know, if if it was a crime of passion, maybe he was in love with Christine and then you know, was just upset, killed the whole family and took the marriage license. So that was one possibility. A lot of the sources that I read said that his grief was seen as exaggerated and even fake at the funeral and he fainted twice at the funeral. So eventually he passed a polygraph and was completely ruled out, but not until 2006 through DNA testing. So like I mentioned before, there was blood on the heel when Christine hit her attacker and um, that's when he was ruled out. So like 50 years later. So the last one was Wilbur Tucker. And this one was a tough one because um, he was known to be a local pervert And not just with Christine, but just overall in the community. He had previously tried to kiss Christine. And like I said, he was just perverted with a lot of women in the town. Like he would, he had done like public indecency acts, like in general. So unfortunately, he had a really good alibi for the day of the murders. So even though he was seen as a really good suspect, he was also ruled out. After all of those were ruled out, their last and top suspect was Curtis McCall, and he had an extensive history of violence. There was a local rumor in town that he and Christine actually had an affair. So once again, this ties back to like the crime of passion. He stole the marriage license, etc. Not only did he allegedly have an affair with Christine, but he also owned a 22 caliber gun, which was the same gun that they used to kill the Walker family. When Curtis did a polygraph, it came out as inconclusive from how nervous he was during the test. Like he was literally so anxious that they just couldn't, they just couldn't get any results from it. Once again, police were not able to hold him accountable due to the lack of results from the polygraph. So he was ruled out. After all these four suspects were ruled out, the case went cold very quickly until 1962, about three years later, when a man named Emmett Monroe confessed to the murders, so allegedly confessed to the murders. He was a well-known serial killer, and he was also a known pathological liar. So then after he allegedly, you know, confessed to the murders and said it was him, he even explained how he did it. The police found out that he had done it only for attention and he had lied just to, you know, get the attention and say that he had done this heinous crime. He had actually gathered the information on this case through other people and what he heard kind of by word of mouth. Um, And that's how he gathered and put together his quote unquote confession, because he knew nothing about it. He was in jail. So he put everything together by what he heard from other people. And to be honest, that's it. That's, that's all we've heard since 1962, um, except for the, the break in 2006, where they ruled out some people through DNA, but nothing more. They, they don't have any more suspects. Um, they haven't had any other breaks in the case. And they just haven't been able to find the killer or killers. I say killers because there's one theory that there possibly could have been more than one killer. During the investigation, police say that they found a blonde hair strand in inside of Christine's dress, and they also found like a darker brunette piece of hair, um, like somewhere else in the house, none of which were tested for the victims. So I think it's a really good theory that there's there's more than one killer. Police also think that the killer may have already been in jail, which is why no leads were found, um, or that there were just so many killers that it was so hard to identify. So nonetheless, unfortunately, the case remains cold 63 years later. That's all I have. So the house was locked, obviously, because the friend couldn't mm-hmm. get in,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So did the there killer was no have forced a entry? key? Did it they know was the me. killer? Did the killer have a key? How'd the killer get in there? And leave.
1: I'm interested. Like that would be interesting to know. I forgot to mention that later on, police also found some clothing that was full of blood in a nearby shed. It wasn't too far away from the home. It was maybe a couple of blocks from the home. However, it was blood from the victims, so they were not able to really get like DNA from it. The only DNA they had of the killers was from the heel where Christine hit them. Um, so it's likely that they like took clothes and then cleaned up after themselves and then just left the clothes you know in a nearby shed but either way that wasn't enough for them to get any leads or really just find a suspect
0: there's a lot of aspects of this case that i have like questions for but there are questions that like couldn't be answered because there wasn't the development in like crime scene investigation
1: at the time so it's pointless to ask them but Yeah. And that's another thing that, you know, when I was doing my research came up a lot, like, for example, the DNA testing, they couldn't do DNA testing until the 2000s. And that was already 45, 50 years later. And it's unfortunate because if that were to happen today, it's so easy to test the DNA. You know, they have DNA from inmates, they have DNA from like just so many people. So it's so easy to test. But like you said, in the 1950s, it's just so hard to do anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could be could be many different things.
1: I just think that the stolen items were just so specific. It was like, yeah, it, it was it definitely was like each person.
0: Yeah, it seems very personal and that she was raped and was attacked first.
1: Yeah, when I was doing my research, I like in my gut, I was like, I think it was either the cousin or the pervy guy. And they just got lucky and got ruled out. Could um, be is just so coincidental. Like, they took something from each person because from the husband, they took his pocket knife. Then from her, they took her uniform. And then from both of them, they took the marriage license. So it just feels very targeted, definitely.
0: Yeah, I I don't have any other thoughts. Just both of our cases choice.
1: were kind of old. And it's it's like, there's only so much technology back then that they could have done so sad about the babies i know she was only one she was like between she must have been like between one and two because some sources were saying under two some sources were saying one so she could have been like 14 months 18 months
0: yeah still a baby still a baby i count the three-year-old
1: as a baby it's close enough oh me too (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we can have any takeaways for these two like specific like there's, this one and the other one were so similar.
0: Yeah, there's like literally nothing. We don't know. There's nothing I can warn you about because I don't know what to warn you about. Yeah. Don't cheat don't on have an stress. affair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, don't have an affair. I mean, I guess it's crazy what people do like out of passion, kinds of yeah, passion. That's true. It also
0: makes me think that this was possibly premeditated number one they stashed the clothes somewhere so they clearly weren't like streaking back to wherever they live you know mm-hmm. oh the clothes that were found was it one set of clothes or two i mean something you know they could have taken the other side if there were two but y'all you, know, you don't know okay
1: mm-hmm. it um, just said clothes
0: okay yeah it feels premeditated to me in the sense that there was no forced entry, there was no, like, everything was locked afterwards, and to the point where the friend had to cut the screen, there were very specific items taken, yeah, and I don't know, just kind of, like, it feels premeditated to me, like, it was thought out, yeah, no, I agree,
1: I agree, because if it wasn't, then there would have been, like, a broken door, a broken window, like, they would have taken the car i don't know i like something yeah they would, would have, have been there so would much- have been
0: more panic and we would have been able to see that yeah. at the scene yeah. i don't know just something about the clothes being stashed somewhere it could have been a last minute decision you know like literally just running away and decided to leave them there i don't know yeah cuz i guess maybe if you thought about it you would have figured out how to destroy the clothes but
1: yeah. In an DNA
0: testing, then, so that wasn't really a concern.
1: Not like it matters, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Too many. I don't know. More killer that gets away with their murder. Well,
0: that's all I have for today's case. Stay tuned for next week as we continue our cold
1: cases. As always, if you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Real Time Crime.